Good day, ladies and gentlemen. With all this talk about the same-sex union couple, their synonyms, by the way, we're going to go into why that's so important. With all the talk about this fiducia supplicants document that has come out from the Vatican, it does look ironically that they're like they're walking it back, which is interesting, but that's not the subject of this podcast. With all this talk, I wanted to talk about the heresy that has led to this document, and if I can be as charitable as possible, even many so-called conservative Catholics in the conservative Catholic sphere have fallen for this document because they themselves, at least they're demonstrating that they are afflicted with the heresy that undergirds this abominable document. I'm talking about the heresy of modernism, but more specifically, we're talking about the heresy or the philosophical heresy, let's call it, that undergirds modernism in the philosophical sphere, and this is the philosophical heresy of nominalism. And we're going to explain what that is in just a second. But first, if you do want to avoid becoming a heretic, I suggest that you go to the Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference. That's right. February 17th in Stratford, Ontario, Canada. At the Best Western Hotel, we are having the second annual Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference with keynote speaker Father Michel Rion, an excellent preacher and a wonderful priest. Very privileged to know him as a friend of the family. Um, it's a full day of amazing traditional Catholic manly fellowship for men of faith. Uh, Father Rion is speaking, Father Marcel Stannis as well, who's our prior, um, our good friend Timothy Flanders, and myself. But despite the fact that I'm speaking, I promise it's going to be a good conference. Uh, in reality, the conference starts on the Saturday, but the night before is kind of the unofficial launch. We have a, a venue uh, booked for people coming from out of town who want to uh, have some fellowship and, and get to know the guys. We've got a place booked for that, but um, you got to make sure you book that when you're booking your ticket. You can find the link for the description, a link in the description to this podcast, and uh, it's $100 Canadian, which is like $72 US with the exchange rate, and uh, the hotels are very affordable, I think around $150 a night Canadian, so if you're coming down with a buddy, you got the two beds in the room, that's pretty inexpensive. Going to be a great conference, don't worry, Friday will be meatless, and it's a great way to get into Lent because you're going to be hearing a lot of wisdom about um, how to be a good, strong Catholic man, which I think is really important. So check the link in the description for that. So this document, well, what is at the heart of the of the errors of this document? Because a lot of people are saying, well, this document isn't heretical. Well, in a sense, it's not heretical um, in the sense that uh, it doesn't espouse particularly any egregious statement that undergirds the perennial uh, de fide doctrines of the Catholic Church. That's true. This is what the sort of conservative bishop types like Bishop Barron, um, Father Mark Goring too, got duped by this, which was sad to see. Um, many of these individuals are saying, listen, it affirms the teaching on marriage, and it says same-sex couples and not same-sex unions, and that makes it A-OK. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, apologetics for why, you know, for example, hey, we bless the whole congregation at Mass, and we don't ask what state people are in. Well, the reason why people can fall for these philosophical problems is because of the heresy of nominalism. Now, what is the heresy of nominalism? And I'm using the word heresy equivocally here. Historically, we would talk about sort of, for example, uh, the, the ancient realist philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, Plato and Socrates, they would talk about the heresies or errors of Democritus, for example. These aren't heresies anathematized by the church particularly, but the results of these are found in the heresies of the church. Um, nominalism is kind of like that. So what is nominalism? Let's just pull up a quick explanation here. 
from the Catholic Encyclopedia. Nominalism. So here's the the uh, the uh, passage from this article. It says, exaggerated realism invents a world of reality corresponding exactly to the attributes of the world of thought. Nominalism, on the contrary, models the concept of the external object, which it holds to be individual and particular. Nominalism consequently denies the existence of abstract and universal concepts and refuses to admit that the intellect has the power of engendering them. What are called general ideas are only names, hence the word nominalism, nome for name. Mere verbal designations serving as labels for a collection of things or a series of particular events, hence the term nominalism. Neither exaggerated realism nor nominalism finds any difficulty in establishing a correspondence between the thing in thought and the thing in nature, existing in nature, since in different ways they both postulate perfect harmony between the two. Oops. The real difficulty appears when we assign different attributes to the thing in nature and to the thing in thought if we hold that the one is individual and the other universal. An antinomy then arises between the world of reality and world as represented in the mind, and we are led to inquire how the general notion of flower conceived by the mind is applicable to the particular and determinate flowers of nature. So, if you look at this passage, it's talking about the reality of flowers. So, this is, let's break this down for, you know, layman's terms. So, what does this mean? Well, if you understand that there are universals, there are things that exist, and all things that are part of that type of thing are that thing, this is realism. So I look at flowers, and I say flowers have these characteristics, and all these things are flowers. And in fact, realism is necessary for even science to take place, because you have to have these kingdoms and these species of things, and all things that pertain those, that contain those certain aspects, those are part of that thing. And we say, I know that's a flower because it contains what is part of flower. Whereas a nominalist will say, what we do is we see things and we apply names to those things, but we don't actually know what those things are intrinsically. They deny the essences, essentially, of things. What does this have to do with the same-sex blessings? Well, when a couple is united in an irregular union, that's what they call it, uh, whether that be adulterous or sodomitical. When a couple is united in this thing, that couple, that type of couple is a thing. So a same-sex couple is a thing that you're a part of. It has characteristics and it's identifiable universally as that type of thing. Two men standing in front of a priest who are colleagues, who are going out for a big sale that day and they're salesmen or something, and they're standing side by side, and they ask for a blessing as two men who are friends, what they are is a group of two men who are friends, and they're not in a couple. Two men who are in a sodomitical relationship that present themselves for a blessing of them as a couple, it is impossible to separate what that couple is from what is asking, from what is what the blessing is asking for, or what is asked to be blessed. And this is where this heresy of nominalism is undergirding this problem, because those who have fallen prey to this type of nominalism are not able to separate, or they're not able to see the distinctions between what are the individual things and what those things become when they're joined together. Again, we could use another example. If a man comes in with his mistress, he's having an affair, and he asks for a blessing for him and his mistress, it is impossible for the priest to give this blessing 
because clearly he will be blessing what is an adulterous union. You can't say, well, it's really just a man standing there and a woman standing there. And the thing that they're doing that makes them that adulterous couple has nothing to do with what's being blessed. You have to be a nominalist to believe that. This is why, for example, we'll see some priests and bishops saying, well, you know, we give blessings to the whole congregation at mass and, you know, we give them a blessing and everyone's sitting there. We don't know what the state is. That's fine because you are giving blessings to a congregation and it is known that the congregation is full of saints and sinners, but you are not blessing any of the sin in the congregation. You are blessing that thing, which is a congregation. Anomalous would say, well, it's not really a congregation. It's really just a group of individuals and they just happen to be sitting there. And we use the word congregation in order to have these easy descriptors because it's impossible to identify it perfectly or define it perfectly. But the problem with that is that makes the blessing impossible because there has to be an intention behind the blessing. So if the priest is saying, I'm blessing this congregation, then his intention is to bless the congregation as a whole in the general sense. His intention is not to bless each individual person in the congregation. This is why, for example, when you have, um, no, sorry, they receive whatever the graces are from that blessing and whether or not they're in a state of grace or mortal sin or whatever, they'll be received differently. But the point is, is the priest is not blessing any particular sin in it because his intention is to bless the congregation as such. And because he's made that statement, he cannot separate the nature of a congregation from the word congregation. The words have meanings and they express to us what are universal principles. Another example, when you have a child, when you have a child uh, who is born and you have the child baptized, when you go to baptism, and especially in a traditional uh, Catholic setting, what usually happens is that the priest will say, you know, here is a traditional prayer you can say to consecrate your child to Mary. Now you have authority over that child so you can make this prayer. When you say that prayer, you are specific about what you are blessing and you are consecrating, who you are consecrating, and you are consecrating your child. Now, you could bring all of your children up with you and ask for a consecration for your whole family, and that could happen. But that's not the same thing as blessing each individual in the congregation. This is why there's been so much confusion about the consecration of Russia and uh, there's a lot of word games played with that. And I'm not here to do apologetics one way or another for Pope Francis's, but this is why it's very clear that in order to bless a country, you have to name the country. If you don't name the country, you're not blessing the country. This is why we've seen uh, in this uh, post-conciliar age, where it's, which is filled with modernism and nominalism, nominalism being a philosophy that undergirds modernism, when John Paul II did the consecration of the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, those who were big JP2 fans and wanted the consecration to have happened said, well, Russia is part of the world. Therefore, Russia was blessed. But that's not actually what happened or consecrated. Indirectly, Russia would have received some sort of consecration because the Pope does have sovereignty over the world. But the request from heaven was that Russia was to be consecrated. Now, granted, um, you could play with the words a little bit as long as the meaning was the same. So if the Pope were to say, you know, I bless all the Russians in Russia and outside of Russia and their nation as a whole, if you were to say something like that, the intention is that 
the totality of Russians, the nation of Russia, is being consecrated, and therefore it would be obvious what the intention was. But if the Pope came out and said, I would like to, I would like to uh, consecrate the Eastern Bloc of the former Soviet Union to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that's not going to cut it. And why is that? Because it's not really clear what the intention is, and it's not going to fulfill the request. There'll be, bless, there'll be blessings from it. Consecrations are consecrations. Um, when Pope John Paul II did consecrate the world, I'm sure the world was part of that consecration. That's a good thing, but it's not what was asked. And you have to be a nominalist to stretch that to be something that it's not. And the same thing is happening with these same-sex blessings. Here's the reality, my friends. The word union and the word couple refer to the same thing. And here's another error that people are falling into. There is no such thing in Catholic moral theology as a same-sex marriage. It doesn't exist because marriage is a particular thing that necessarily must be between a man and a woman. You know, the word marriage actually comes from a word for motherhood, matrimonio, mater, mater, matrimonium, motherhood, basically. This is why would you say, when you'd say, for example, you know, my, the, the patrimony of my family, what you're referring to is essentially the uh, paternal lineage history of your family, referring to what has come through the generation of the patriarchs of your family. When you say matrimony, you're referring to something very similar. I used to play this game with my students. I had on my desk, I had a candle, like some sort of holy candle. And I would say, this is a flashlight. And they'd laugh and I'd say, no, no, it is. Listen, to me, this is a flashlight because it's a cylinder and it gives off light and that light can flash things. Therefore, it's a flashlight. And they'd say, Mr. Hall, that's absurd. And I was you know, showing them a point and they would get it. And I'd say, well, here's the problem with our modern age as part of this nominalist relativistic philosophical framework that undergirds these errors that we fall into. I would say, how do you know this is not a flashlight? And they'd you know, give me a variety of answers and it would come down to, well, we know what a flashlight is and we know what a candle is. And even though they have similar qualities, one is like this and always is like that. The other is like that and always is like that. They belong to these universal categories. In that sense, there is no such thing as a difference between a same-sex union and a same-sex couple. There's no, there's, no, there, there's no meaningful difference. It's, it's cheating with words. It's being anomalist. It's using words for definitions of particular things and denying the universality of what those things are when they're presented as such. If someone goes down to the courthouse in a same-sex couple and they receive a marriage certificate, you can call them a union, you can call them a partnership, you can call them a couple, you can call them whatever they want. At the end of the day, what it is, is two people of the same sex who are engaged in a illicit um, union of fornication that is unnatural. That's what it is. So if, if a group uh, presents themselves as a same-sex couple, there is no difference than if they present themselves asking for a blessing for their same-sex union. Because in order for there to be a union, there must be a couple. And when you are a couple, you are in a type of union. This is why it's impossible to avoid this. And respectfully to any of the conservative Catholics out there who have fallen for this trap, you need to look up the heresies, the philosophical heresies that were ultimately condemned, at least indirectly, by William Vaucom, 
maybe you've heard of William of Ockham. You've heard of Ockham's razor, you know, that sort of expression that we have. Well, Ockham was essentially within the church, the father of nominalism. And um, what he did basically is he, re he resurrected the heresies, the philosophical heresies of the sophists. So when you look at the dialogues between Socrates and the sophists relayed to us by Plato, for example, what you'll find is that the sophists will play with words. The sophists will do this word game where they pretend that something is not what it is because they can use vocabulary to deceive you. And this is a trick of the devil. This is a trick of the devil. We find in the beginning of scripture, the devil, you know, wants Adam and Eve to take of the fruit. And they say, well, we were told we would die. I'm paraphrasing. We were told we would die. And he says, oh no, you won't die in that way. Basically he's playing with words. He's playing with words because death cannot be in, in, in proper Christian understanding. The death of the soul is necessarily linked to the death of the body because the body degrades as a result of sin. This is why we find in the scriptures at the beginning, there are much longer ages of life than later on after the flood. And why is that? Because there's a state of perfection, a state of immortality, not invincibility. Adam and Eve, you know, theoretically, sorry if you hear stomping, by the way, Adam and Eve theoretically could be killed by like a bullet or a sword or something. They're not, they don't have like a, you know, a superhero Marvel comic body. Um, but they were in a state where they would have no uh, degradation of their physical persons because there was no degradation of the form of the body, which is the soul. So the devil is the original nominalist. He says, well, you might not have that. You're not going to have that type of death. And what he's doing is he's playing with these words and he's fooling Adam and Eve, essentially. And this is a heresy that has continued to arise over and over in the history of the church. And as a result of this, we now find ourselves in the position where people are duped by this nominalistic, relativistic heresy that tries to separate the meaning of couple and union when they're exactly the same thing. I hope that makes sense. Remember, check out the Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference, the link for that in the description to this video. And as always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless.